Good morning, everyone. About time for us to begin our, our worship service uh, this morning. Uh, welcome to everyone. Special welcome to any visitors uh, that we have with us. If you have visited before and have not filled out a visitor's card with us, or if this is your first time today, please fill out one of these uh, cards and give it to one of the members, and they'll make sure that it gets to the right place. We promise not to badger you. We just would like to uh, thank you for showing up and uh, be of assistance if, if we can be of such uh, for you. So uh, please do that, and uh, they should be in the, the pews right in front of you, and pencils are there handy as well. We have a number of people, I was just told, a number something like in the area of 45 uh, campers and counselors and parents and things of that sort that are missing today. So if our numbers look a little bit uh, small, that may be uh, at least partially why. Um, Chris will be uh, uh, speaking today, delivering the message, and Steve McLeod will uh, be delivering the message this evening as Chris will be heading uh, to camp himself this afternoon. Song leader is John Kelly. Our first song is number um, 647? 547. Yeah, that is a five. 547. Um, and in just a moment, we'll ask you to stand and sing. Um, our reading and prayer is uh, by Nathan Payne. Uh, the Lord's Table uh, will be officiated by Jeremy Miller and uh, Jim Haney. We'll have our closing prayer. So let's go to God in prayer before we enter into our worship. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have on days like these and on a regular basis to come and to pour our hearts out to you in song and in prayer, listen to words delivered from your will to us, the Bible, to participate in the uh, memorial feast of your son's death, burial, and the resurrection that, that ultimately took place that gave, gives us a hope of eternal life. We pray, Father, that as we enter into uh, our worship this morning that each of us will do whatever is possible to focus entirely on things that are happening here and not elsewhere. Help us to sing in spirit and in truth and help us to worship in spirit and in truth as well. We ask this prayer in your son's name. Amen. Would you stand, please? <clears throat> Rejoice, the Lord is King, 547. <clears throat> Rejoice, the Lord is King, your Lord and King of the Lord. Rejoice, the Jesus. 
Next hymn this morning, number 544, 544, Redeemed. And after this hymn, Brother Nathan Payne will have our scripture reading and prayer. Redeem how I love to proclaim. Redeem by the blood of the Lamb. Redeem through the temple of mercy. His child forever I am. Redeem. Scripture reading for this morning, you're taking from the book of Acts, chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where he preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia, and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted companies. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today humbly praising and worshiping your high and holy name. We ask that all of those here together be of one heart and one mind and one goal, and that is praising your name. We're thankful for all the many blessings you have given us, Lord. We, are a, we, we sit together blessed beyond measure, and we ask, I ask that we be mindful of our blessings, Lord, because this world is, 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 we do not, the world does not share in the blessings that we have. And there's many Christians that are gathered today that are doing so in secret and in persecution. And we ask that you be with us as we go and spread God's message. We help us to be, be 
bold and brave and, and mindful of the blessings that we, we have and, and mindful of uh, our brethren who do not share in these blessings. Lord, there's many among our number who are sick and suffering in different ways that have been mentioned previously. Lord, you know their needs and you know their conditions and we ask that your, your will be done in their situations and if it be your will that they be returned to a portion of health and be with those who are, are grieving the loss of loved ones and, and struggling. We ask that you uh, give them comfort and strength. Lord, there are many in the, our community that we ask that you, uh, you know, provide a, a, a measure of comfort and a measure of healing. Lord, we pray for all of the, the first responders and, uh, in our community who, whose job is it is to protect this, this, this community that we care so much about, and we ask that you keep them safe. Lord, as we, as we spend this week uh, celebrating our nation's uh, birthday, and the freedoms that it has allowed us to enjoy. We ask that you be with those. Help us be mindful of those who are serving and who are promoting and protecting those freedoms that we enjoy. Bring them home safe. Lord, most of all, we're thankful for your son who, was, who left this, his, his home in heaven to come to this earth and to live as a man and to die uh, a criminal's death in our, in our place where he lived perfect. We, we live a life of sin and we... We struggle, but he took the, uh, our punishment for us and, and suffered so that we could have a hope of a heaven someday with you. We ask that you be with, be with us as we go throughout this service. May it be pleasing to you. May we, we take a moment to pause and think of, of Jesus when we gather around the table to remember his sacrifice because he considered us friends and he loved us so. Forgive us when we go wrong. And be with us throughout this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 859. He paid a debt. 
We're here this morning to remember the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord and Savior. This morning I would like to direct our minds a little more to his uh, emotional strain that he suffered along with his broken body and shed blood. And to do that I'll be reading from the book of Matthew from the American Standard Version. And they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and they plaited a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. And they put a reed in his right hand, and they bowed down before him, and they mocked him. And they spit on him. And they took the reed and they smote him. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him. And they put his own raiment on him. And they led him away to crucify him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we're thankful for the opportunity we have to assemble together to remember your son, the sacrifice that he made for us. We're thankful, Father, for the, the bread that we have representing his body that was broken. Help us to concentrate on that, Father, as we take it. Help us to also be well aware of the emotional strain he went through for each of us. And guide us, Father, through this service. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
And they came to a place called Golgotha. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments. And they sat and they watched him there. And they set over his head his accusation. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads. And the robbers also that were crucified with him cast upon him the same reproach. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. And the rest said, Let him be. And Jesus cried again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we are in awe at the love that you showed us in giving your son to die for us. Help us to realize everything that he went through. Help us to feel his pain. Help us to share in his suffering. Help us to remember this blood that was shed as we take this cup. Just help us to be focused, Father, on his love and your love each day in all that we do. Bless us now as we take this. Bless us the remainder of our service. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
We live in the greatest country on earth. We celebrate that this week, and as we do that, we are we were, well, we're blessed to be able to do that when so many in this world cannot or will not. We have an abundance of everything that we need. We have stores full of clothing, stores full of food. Everything that we have uh, is a blessing, and everything that we have is a gift from God. We take up our offering this morning, uh, our contribution. Uh, just keep that in mind. And... Um, to remember what God's done for us. We pray with me, please. Father, we're so thankful for all that we have and all that we are and all that you've given us, all that you've done for us. Above all things, Father, we're thankful for the gift of your son. We're also thankful, Father, for the material blessings that we have, uh, the abundance of what we have. Help us to realize that it's all a gift from you. And help us to use the things that you have given us and what you've done for us to serve those around us. To help us to be a blessing, Father, each day of our life to those that we come in contact with. Help us to give generously, Father, knowing good and well that you will give back to us. Thank you once again for all things. Most of all, thank you for, again for your son. And we pray in his name. Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 200. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. Number 200. It's at this time the young children from two to five-year-olds will have children's Bible hour. <clears throat> Thank you. 
Invitation to him this morning, number 653, The Way of the Cross. 653, Brother Chris. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. If you uh, notice some empty spaces around, um, that's because a lot of our folks are gone to camp this week. So be in prayer for a good, successful week, good weather, and those kinds of things for us this week. We're in Acts chapter 15 again today. Last week we talked about the Jerusalem Council and what to do in the midst of conflict and controversy within the church. Today we're talking uh, kind of a part two to that lesson um, as we deal with Paul and Barnabas separating toward the end of Acts chapter 15. They are uh, finished with the first missionary journey now uh, and in the beginning of Acts chapter 15 last week we saw that some false teachers from the Jerusalem congregation have come down to Antioch uh, of Syria. This is Paul's home congregation. This is the church uh, that sends him and Barnabas on the first missionary trip and him and Silas on the subsequent trips out to teach the gospel to uh, their neighbors and to, to really the Roman world. Um, and some false teachers have come down from Jerusalem and they have met there at uh, Antioch of Syria and they have disturbed the church with some of the things that they've been teaching. They've said that you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Baptism is not sufficient, they would say. Circumcision and baptism together save you. And of course, uh, Paul and Barnabas, along with the apostles and the elders at the church in Jerusalem, will fight against this teaching. And Paul and Barnabas now want to, after the, uh, after the council has convened, 
Uh, they've decided that circumcision is indeed not necessary for salvation. Baptism alone is sufficient. Uh, they want to go back now to all the churches that they visited on the first missionary trip, and they want to remind them of these things. These false teachers, no doubt, uh, their words and their, their teaching have filtered down through these congregations that Paul and Barnabas have founded over the last couple of years by this point. And they want to make sure that this teaching doesn't um, unsettle them, that they are firm in their faith. Baptism alone is now sufficient for salvation. The law of Moses is no more. It's, it's no longer necessary. It's no longer sufficient. Uh, there's a new way. There's a new covenant that God has made with mankind. This all sounds great up until they have this controversy, this conflict. Paul and Barnabas, these co-workers, these two good friends who have done so much good in the kingdom of God, now have a conflict among themselves. Last week it was among the church. This week it's among these two good brothers. These two men that have worked tirelessly for the good of the kingdom are now in conflict with each other over John Mark. <clears throat> you remember during the first missionary journey, right after they left Cyprus, John Mark will leave them. He's going to leave the missionary um, team of Paul and Barnabas, and he's going to go back home to Jerusalem. We don't really know why he left. Um, Paul does take more leadership after Cyprus um, than, he, than he will, uh, than he does beforehand. So maybe Barnabas, maybe that unsettles Barnabas in some way. He is, or excuse me, maybe that unsettles John Mark in some way. He is Barnabas's cousin. And so maybe there's a familial relationship there that, that he thinks maybe Paul has overstepped, possibly. I, I, I'm, we're just not told. Uh, it could very well be that John Mark has finally gotten a taste of how dangerous um, this missionary team, uh, life on this team can be. Uh, Paul will be stoned on this missionary trip later on in the missionary trip on the first one. Uh, and maybe... John Mark has kind of gotten a taste that this, this trip could get him killed. And maybe, maybe, he's, maybe he's afraid. Maybe he's just homesick. We don't really know. But for whatever reason, when they get to the mainland again after having left Cyprus, John Mark leaves them. Now all of that's passed. They've wintered in Antioch, most likely. So they've spent the last three or four months um, in Antioch. And all throughout this time... It seems to me that they've been talking about this next trip. Um, Paul seems like a tireless missionary. Uh, he is laser focused on getting the gospel to more people all the time. Uh, it seems to be the only thing that, that, that drives him. Uh, he, he wants more people to come in contact with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so he is laser focused on that. And Barnabas seems to be right there along with him. So, during this time period, during these three or four months when travel is not safe in this part of the country, they, they winter in Antioch. I'm assuming building up their church there, teaching there. Um, this is a good congregation, Antioch is. Uh, and, and Paul and Barnabas are attempting to make them even uh, more generous, even more kind, even more righteous, falling in line with, with God's will. I'm sure that's how these months were spent. But also during these months, there was talk between Barnabas and Paul about this next missionary trip. If you look in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41, 
you begin to find what the content of these conversations were. There was more than one conversation like this. Uh, you find this one recorded for us, but from the way that he phrases things in this text, we know that this was a conversation that Paul and Barnabas had multiple times throughout these months. But I want you to focus in on a couple of things, and we'll kind of walk through them as we get through the text here in chapter 15, starting in verse 36. And after some days, Paul and Barnabas said, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. This is the initial goal. Paul's second missionary trip, the one that they're about to go on, is going to be much more massive than the first one. Although they had intended in the beginning simply just to follow their trail, follow their, their, uh, their, their steps back through the first missionary trip, that's not what they do. Uh, and God has a, a huge hand in that, and it's really interesting to see what happens. We'll get more to that toward the end of our lesson, but right now I just want you to see that that was their intention. They had intended, Paul and Barnabas agreed. They're going to disagree on something in this, in this text, but they both agreed that this is what we should do. We should go back through all the places that we've taught the gospel to and shore up these churches. This, um, this doctrine that the Judaizing teachers, that the Jews from Jerusalem had been selling, that circumcision and baptism are necessary for salvation, they think that maybe all that stuff's filtered down to these congregations, and, and that can't happen. That's, that's false teaching. And so they need to go back through and right any of the wrongs that these teachers have, have caused. And so that's the plan. That's not how the plan's going to go, of course, but that is the plan. Verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Again, just from the way that Luke records this, the words that he uses, the verbs that he uses here, we're, we're to believe that this is a, an argument, a disagreement that happens on multiple occasions. This is continuous. Um, this is not the only time that they have this conversation. This would have happened several times across the span of these several months here. Barnabas insisting, let's take John Mark. He, he can be useful in the kingdom. I don't know what Barnabas saw in John Mark, but I don't know what he saw in Saul either, right? Barnabas is going to be the one in the very early days after Saul's conversion that he sees something in Saul and knows that he can be of use in God's kingdom. And so he puts himself at risk so that Saul can come along, so that he can help encourage Saul, so that he can help teach him. And Saul turns into the amazing Apostle Paul and does incredible work for the kingdom of God. Barnabas is right. And here, I think he looks at John Mark and sees something, maybe that he saw in Saul years earlier. He sees potential. And he's, he's insisting. He keeps on insisting. That's the way he says it in Greek. He keeps on insisting that they take John Mark with them. He can be good, right? He can be uh, an amazing worker in God's kingdom. He sees potential in John Mark. But Paul says, I just don't see it, Barnabas. Um, Jesus said, a worker who sets his hand to the plow and looks back is not what? He's not, he's not worthy of the kingdom. Paul is of that mindset. If you put your hand to the plow, if you, if you set yourself to the work, 
You go do it with everything you've got, and you don't look back. Just from a, a mission work st- standpoint, Paul's argument makes a lot more sense. And, and I found myself over the years agreeing more with Paul than I have with Barnabas. And, and now I'm, <laughs> um, I don't know if it's un- unfortunate or unfortunately, but I, I see both of their sides now. Um, but in, in the past, I've agreed with, with Paul, with Paul um, which is usually safe territory. <laughs> um, but in this instance, I think, I think maybe that this disagreement, they're both wrong, but they're also both right. And I'll explain what I mean in a second. But I've agreed with Paul in the past um, because just put yourself in, in his position. They are going around to all these churches. They're asking people to put themselves in harm's way so that they can be pleasing to Christ. And then a missionary, the one of the ones who is preaching to them, gets scared or he gets homesick. And he turns and he goes back home. But the new Christians, they don't have that option. They're, they're, they're stuck, if you will, in, in this city where persecution is is either happening right now, that happened on several of these, in several of these cities in the first missionary trip, and it's going to happen in even more of them on the second and third missionary trips. And so Paul's afraid, and rightly so, I think, that if John Mark comes along with them this time, and he falls back, he falls away, he gets scared, what's that going to do to the new Christian's faith? It could definitely put, uh, could put a, it could dampen it, couldn't it? It could, it could pour water on their newfound passion. His leaving, John Mark's leaving, could hurt them. And Paul says, I'm not doing it. We gave him a chance and he failed. He messed up. Well, I'm not doing it anymore. These people's faith is too precious for me to rely on him. Not even to say, not even to mention that Paul needs to rely on his fellow workers. He's going to fall in some of these situations that are, that are difficult. Uh, and he needs people there that he can trust. People there that uh, can, can, can help him. That can uh, pull, make his faith even bigger and better. And later on, toward the end of Paul's life, you're going to see that lots of people have deserted him. And Luke's the only one that's there with him. And he's demanding from Timothy that when he comes to bring John Mark with him. John Mark's become useful to him now in ministry, but that's not how he, that's not how he sees it here. Uh, here he sees it more as John Mark's lack of faith could hinder the new Christian's faith, and, and we can't have that. Barnabas is on the other side of the equation, of course. He can do amazing things. He has potential. God loves giving second chances, Paul. You got a second chance, right? This is the same God who is, what, how does he put it? Slow to anger. He's long-suffering. He's the God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, hundredth chances. This is, he's grace. He's kind. And so Barnabas is right on God's heart, right? In this matter, Barnabas is right on in his heart. He's, he's aligned up just perfectly with Jesus. But so is Paul. Right? So is Paul. Once you agree, once you come into the church and set your hands to the plow, these are Jesus' words, Luke 9. Once you set your hand to the plow, if you pull back, if you 
turn away. You're not worthy of the gospel. I would, if I were a betting man, just imagine that's the verse Paul has running through his mind as he thinks of John Mark coming with them on the second missionary trip. He's not worthy of the gospel. We tried and tested him one time and he failed. Uh, it's just not worth the possible disaster to all of the new Christians' faith to bring him along. So Barnabas is right, and he's thinking like God. And Paul is right, and he too is thinking like God, and they disagree. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? Sometimes that happens in the church. Personalities being what they are, opinions being what they are, and that is what this is. This is an opinion-based thing. This is not doctrine. Uh, there, there are disagreements not on doctrine. Um, it, it is opinion. And that happens sometimes in the church between brothers and sisters in Christ, doesn't it? We, we, we disagree on these things. And maybe you're both right. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas, neither one of them are wrong on this issue. How they handle it, I think, is wrong. And I'll get to that in just a second. But their desires, what they want, are right on. They both are focused on making God's kingdom better. If our intention in conflict, when we find ourselves in controversy with each other, if our intention is to make the kingdom of God better, it's awfully hard to go wrong. If when I'm in conflict or you're in conflict with someone in the church, if I search out my heart and see selfish motivations, things that are really, I'm in conflict because this person hurt my feelings or this person, um, uh, I, I want to, to do this thing for uh, selfish motivations. If I, I want to do this thing because it's in my best interest, it's awfully hard to go right like that. The Bible talks a lot about selfishness and those motivations. He says those will take you to ruin every time. But if, on the other hand, if my motivations are righteousness, if I'm trying to make the kingdom of God better and you're trying to make the kingdom of God better and we disagree, it's awfully hard to go wrong. Let me give you an example in Paul and Barnabas. What used to be just one mission team, now is two. They've doubled their efforts when they disagree. This, this is sharp. Um, the word here uh, that my, my ESV has in verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. This indicates that there would have been raised voices. Tempers had flared. Uh, in fact, the word that Luke uses here is provoked. Um, Paul's going to use this exact word in the Greek in 1 Corinthians 13 when he says love is not provoked. Love doesn't act like this. Love doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't have a short fuse. It doesn't flare up like this. It's long-suffering. So years later, I would just imagine, Paul looks back on this incident from Acts 15 when he writes 1 Corinthians 13 and says love doesn't act like that. He was wrong. Paul does an incredible amount of good, right? But he's human. 
Don't forget that even the incredible Apostle Paul is human. And I think he made a mistake here. I think Barnabas made a mistake here. Their intentions were good. But sometimes our emotions get the better of our intentions. But because they were both focused on making the kingdom of God better instead of selfish motivations, had, had Paul simply not liked John Mark, had John Mark said something bad about Paul, or if this had been some sort of selfish motivations for Paul not wanting, to take Barn, uh, not wanting to take John Mark, or for Barnabas wanting to take John Mark, had this been selfishly motivated, it wouldn't have turned out as well. But because they're both focused on making the kingdom of God better, it's awfully hard to mess that up. Even when things don't go exactly to plan, even when righteousness isn't exactly on point. I think they messed up here. But I think their intentions were so good and so pure. Good things happened. And I think that's a lesson we can learn from their conflict that we can put into our own conflict when we're in controversy with each other. If I've noticed and I've searched out my heart and I can't see any selfish motivations, I see only wanting the kingdom to be better. And you can only see your heart wanting to make the kingdom better. Sometimes conflicts arise and those things will happen. It's awfully hard to go wrong if we're all trying to make the kingdom of God better. But it's awfully hard to go right if we're only in it for each other, for, if we're only in it for ourselves. If we're selfishly motivated, it's awfully hard to go right. Verse, verse 40, back up to verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So now instead of just one mission team, now there's two. Barnabas takes John Mark and he goes home. Basically, he's from the island of Cyprus, and that's where he's going to go back, and they're going to teach there. This is familiar territory to John Mark because he's already been through Cyprus. He made it that far with them on the first missionary trip, and so this is comfortable territory for both, excuse me, for both men. Paul is going to take Silas, and he's going in a completely different direction. Uh, this is probably something uh, like the boat that they would have traveled on um, on, the, on the first missionary trip. Paul and, Bar or Paul and Silas, Barnabas and John Mark, excuse me, uh, could very well have boarded a boat very much like this to get to the island of Cyprus. But Paul and um, Silas are not going to board a boat. Um, they're going to walk. And we'll get to that in just a second. Let's talk through some of the things that we can learn from these guys' disagreement. You notice a couple things didn't happen. Um, they didn't recruit Paul and Barnabas didn't split up and then try to get people on their side, right? There was none of that. Um, their unity, the unity of the kingdom was too important for that. There was none of this, um, hey, you, you group come agree with me and you group come agree with me. And, and then the backbiting and the gossiping and the complaining, none of that 
None of that happened. This was between Paul and Barnabas, and that's where it stayed. The unity was too important to be sacrificed over something like this. This is a big deal, right? This is a big deal. Uh, the, the, the missionary team that's going out, this is a big move in the kingdom. But even this big move is not worth sacrificing the unity of the church over nothing. Very few things are. Doctrine is one of those things. Uh, it may, it's the only thing. And so uh, as long as we agree on the teaching, we can get over a lot of other things. Second thing we learn about this is we need to do an awful lot of soul searching when we come in conflict with, with someone awful lot of soul searching. This is what we are talking about earlier. Look at our motivations. Look at your motivations and make sure that those things are not selfish. One of the other things we can learn from, these, from this disagreement is don't write people off. I don't know how, how many years passed between Acts 15 uh, and when at the end of Paul's life, John Mark is now useful to him in, uh, in ministry. But Barnabas has also become useful again to Paul in ministry, he's going to write to the Corinthian congregation that if Barnabas comes to them, they should welcome him warmly, right? Um, he, he didn't write either one of these guys off. Sometimes we write people off too quickly. When we're in conflict with each other, when we're in controversy, I think our normal reaction is to pull back away from someone, um, is to make them the bad guy, Right? That seems to be our normal reaction. They're, they're the bad guy, uh, and I'm in the right, and that's, that's not helpful. When we're in controversy, one of the things we can learn is we, we don't need to write people off because people are, are fluid, people change, and sometimes for the better. We see that with, with John Mark. He finally became useful to Paul for ministry. and ended up writing one of the Gospels. Barnabas continues on doing mission work as well as John Mark, and so we can't be too quick to write people off. The final thing I think we can learn from this, from this disagreement is our plans may be too small. Remember their initial plan? They wanted to go back through and they just wanted to visit the churches that they had visited earlier uh, and strengthen them. That's not what they do. That's not what ends up happening. On the, on the screen, you see the, the, uh, the trail of the first missionary journey. They started uh, in Antioch, the, the home congregation, and then they went to Cyprus and then went up to the mainland, uh, hitting, uh, hitting Antioch, Iconium, and then Lystra and Derby, and then they made their way back through setting up elders along those congregations. That's the plan that they have when they, in Acts 15 when they come in contact with this disagreement. But that's not what happens. Well, here's what happens. You see Antioch on this map. Uh, they're going to go north into Cilicia, and um, uh, into the Galatia region. He walks. Go back through this map. You see a hole? Paul's a missionary, right? At his heart, he's a lot of things, but he's a missionary, and he has apparently seen a map or two. And so and when he wants to go back, he and Barmas make, uh, make the plans to go back, but then they have this falling out, and so now he's, he's got a different route, a different route's possible. Barnabas is taking this side, so Paul kind of looks at the map and says, well, there's a hole. We missed, we missed something last time. This whole area uh, of Cilicia, we, we missed it. And so he's going to walk from Antioch up to Cilicia, through Galatia, and through Phrygia, through several of these regions, uh, 
Uh, skip over to Acts chapter 16. I want you to see this because this is so, so interesting how God does this. Uh, we'll talk about Philippi um, next week, but, but you need to see kind of how they get to Philippi. So he does uh, make his way through Lystra and Derby. After he leaves Cilicia, he's going to make his way through, Lystra, through Derby and Lystra again. He's going to strengthen the churches there. Um, in Lystra, he picks up a disciple. He picks up a, a, a young guy. His name's Timothy. You know Timothy, right? Uh, on the front of the pages of Scripture, uh, we know this young man. He becomes like a son in the faith uh, to Paul and does incredible work himself. They make their way all the way through, and they intend to go to Ephesus, I think. Um, if you're going through Asia Minor and you're wanting to set up a church somewhere in Asia Minor... Ephesus would probably be the main spot you would probably pick. It's a port city. Tons of trade come through there. If you're coming through this area, you're hitting Ephesus. It's the perfect place for a church to be founded. And I think that's where Paul's going, but something happens. For, uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. The Holy Spirit says, no, you, you can't. You can't. You can't do this right now. You can't set up congregations in Asia. I think he said it at Ephesus, but they can't do that. And when they had come up to Mycenae, so now they're way up here in the north. Uh, you can see it on the, on the green map up there near Troas. Mycenae is a uh, region. So that's where they're at. And they attempted to go into Bethnia. They wanted to go even farther north, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they've come from the east up through Antioch, uh, from Antioch, up through the Taurus Mountains, then from Cilicia and Galatia. And they've been founding congregations and strengthening the churches there. And they make their way all the way up to Mycenae because they wanted to go down south to Ephesus, but the Holy Spirit said, no, not today. That's coming, but not right now. And then they wanted to go north, and he says, no, that's not happening either. And so what's the last? They can't go east because that's backtracking. They can't go north. They can't go south. So they're forced to go west. So they meet uh, at Troas, and that's where they, they sleep. Verse 8. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And so they do, and that's, that's the story for, for next week, how God turns Philippi upside down and the lessons we can learn from there. But sometimes in, in conflict, our our plans are too small and God has something bigger in store for us, something even better. Um, had Paul and Barnabas not had this falling out, I don't know what would have happened, but I know that after they did, God does something incredible through this because both men are focused on making the kingdom of God better. When you're focused on making the kingdom of God better, you become an unstoppable church. That's what this series has, all been, has been all about throughout this whole year. How do we become an unstoppable church? When we become an unstoppable church, listening from Acts, Acts 15, by being focused on the kingdom, making it better, not allowing anything to stand in the way of making the kingdom of God better. I think we learn an awful lot 
from Acts 15 about how to deal with conflict and how to be unstoppable churches in the midst of conflict. I think there's power there, and I hope it's been helpful for us as we think through uh, when we come in conflict and when we are in controversy with, with each other and with others, how we deal with that. Often it's selfish, right? Often it's they've heard us or they said this or whatever. And the motivations, the kickback is selfish. It can't be like that. Unstoppable churches don't do that. Unstoppable churches are so focused on the kingdom of God that nothing stands in the way. We attempt to make the kingdom bigger and better at every turn. And nothing stands in the way. This morning, if sin is standing in your way of coming to know Him, of righteousness, of being a part of His family, that wall can be broken down. Through the power of baptism, your sins can be washed away and you can become a brand new creation, holy and solely focused on following Him and making His kingdom better. This morning, if you're struggling and you need the prayers of this congregation, we would love to pray with you and for you that you can be everything that God would have you to be. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way I shall morning. We have a few announcements to go with before we're dismissed. Uh, on the youth events, July 11th, Grayson Lake, Kayak to the Grotto. And July 12th, before our Wednesday evening services, we're going to have a video scavenger hunt. 
And July 15th, they'll be going to the Yatesville Water Park in Louisa, Kentucky. Also remember July 16th is the deacons meeting. July 18th, Young at Heart will be going somewhere, don't know where yet. Uh, July 20th, the 23rd is the Beckley Family Mission Trip. And also remember to look at the mowing schedule on the bulletin board if you can help out. On our prayer list, remember Jimmy Wilgus, Jim Haney, Sean Maynard, Amber Spitzer, and also remember Nathan Payne as he's heading to Thailand uh, this week. So uh, many prayers be with him as he travels. He's got more frequent flyer miles than Michael Jordan. Uh, been to Peru, now to Thailand, so uh, keep that family in your prayers. Is there any other announcements need to be made? If not, we'll have a closing song and a closing word of prayer. Please stand again for hymn number 626, The Christians Welcome Home. We'll <clears throat> sing the first and last verse, and then Brother Jim Haney will lead us in prayer. <clears throat> How sweet will be the welcome home when this soul is born, when faith and sorrow, grief and care shall trouble us no more. Welcome home, we welcome home, my home, sweet home. Welcome home. Our Father, which art in heaven, we again thank you that you've given us this privilege, this opportunity to assemble here and to worship you. And we pray, Father, that our worship service has been pleasing unto you. Father, we pray that you'll be with us as we dismiss here and we go our separate ways. We pray that you'll watch over us, you'll keep us safe. We pray, Father, that you'll be with all those who are in the camp and those who are heading there and just Give them a good week and keep them safe. We just pray that you'll be with all those who are traveling on the highways and the byways this holiday weekend and just give them safety. Help us, Father, each day of our lives to be the example we need to be. Watch over us, and whenever you are finished with us on this earth, give us that home in heaven with you. For we pray in Christ's name, and amen. Thank you. Brian, you're still on.